James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning. God, we pray for Brandon as he uh, comes up this morning and preaches your word, Lord. Would we have hearts that are open to hearing what you want us to hear, Lord? Um, we thank you for today. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've kind of journeyed together uh, through this first chapter in the letter of James, uh, we've heard a lot about the testing of our faith through uh, trials and suffering. And last week, we learned that our identity is found not in our sin nature, uh, but in the character of, a, of God, of a loving Father who has brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of uh, first fruits of His creation. He's echoing the words of uh, the Apostle Paul who said that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And in this passage this morning, what we're seeing is what it looks like for that new creation to leave infancy and to grow up into maturity. And James helps us to discover how to have a, a Christian life that is effective and of great value in God's kingdom. He calls this life religion that is pure and undefiled. I think one of the more interesting things about this passage of Scripture is that James singles out uh, unrestrained anger as a particular sin that hinders us from receiving the Word. Why, why does he do this, right? After all, lust and sloth and gluttony and pride and uh, greed, what's the other one, envy, uh, all of those sins are equally distracting from the Word. So, why does He single out unrestrained anger? Well, as we've seen in the, in the context of the first chapter of James, uh, it's trial and suffering. And I think that James understood that when, when we look around and we see that people are in pain or when we experience suffering ourselves, we realize that the world is not as it should be, that things need to change, that the world is broken, it's not right. And frankly, we get a little bit fed up about it. The truth is we get ticked off. We want to see things change for the better. No, we demand 
that things change. And James knew, he knew that we would do what people have done since the beginning of time when they're angry and frustrated. They get on Twitter. <laughs> but seriously, when, when James wrote that we should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, it's really hard to imagine that he's never been on social media, right? Because hasty, angry words and shouting down and silencing and canceling people that we disagree with, that's kind of the norm now. And there's, there's good to social media. It gives everyone a voice. And people who are kind of fed up with the state of the world, they're, they're using that voice. It gives those of us who feel powerless a little bit of a sense of control. But it seems to me that all the shouting online is only making the world a more divided and more contentious place. We're, we're supposedly the most convicted or the most connected generation uh, in the history of mankind, and yet it seems to me that there's more distance between us than ever before. You know, sometimes I think social media brings out the worst in people. I, I know it has for me. You know, I, I get on Facebook with good intentions to find out what's going on in my, with my family or my friends. If I'm being honest, I just get on there to see what Haven Choi has been up to. <laughs> but before you know it, right, before you know it, I'm arguing with a complete stranger about politics in the comment thread about the new Taylor Swift album. And that's what happens. I can't stop myself from speaking out. I get angry, and I start to believe that I'm changing the world, that I'm influencing people, that I'm making a difference, but really, I'm just being a troll. I'm just some jerk behind a keyboard who is getting all twisted up inside and probably doing more harm than good and definitely hurting others. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. I find that I can't do it, at least not on Facebook, and that's why I don't go on there much these days. But this isn't a sermon about the evils of social media. The world does need to change for the better. And our natural response to pain and suffering is anger and a compulsion to speak out. And whether that's complaining or protesting or demanding that those in power do something about it. Pick a problem that's facing the world today. We have a lot of problems. Terrorism, racism, sexism, poverty, mental illness, violence, addiction, or the really big one, how Starbucks is decorating their holiday cup, right? Pick any problem, and you're going to find genuinely concerned people on opposite sides of that issue, and they're angrily shouting demands at each other. See, James brings up anger because he knew that even though we rant and we rave and we sue each other, or maybe we even start wars, 
none of this brings lasting change to the world because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I, I think of the relationship between a parent and a child, right? When a child misbehaves, you know, we can lash out at them in anger. And, and maybe for a time, that child's behavior will improve, right? Because they're afraid of us, because they don't want to make us angry. But as that kid grows up, their rebellious nature will begin to emerge and be revealed. The wise parent only disciplines in love and never in anger, and they temper it with grace and mercy, and in so doing, they demonstrate the gospel to their child. They shepherd their child's heart towards Jesus who is able to save them because godly character is more important than good behavior. Of course, good behavior naturally follows godly character. So I think of that, and I, I think that James is, is shepherding his people towards Jesus. They were in the midst of terrible suffering, some of it in personal circumstances, but some of it from religious and political persecution and corruption. They had good reason to be angry. They desperately needed change. But James didn't lead an angry mob. He shepherded them to the only source of hope that he knew, which is the Word of God. And his words ring true today as well. He gives us two priorities for believers who would have a religion that is pure and undefiled, a religion that could bring change to the world. And this morning, we'll look at both of them in turn. Our first priority is that we are to hear the Word. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. But, but in order to understand that, right, in order to understand what that means, we first need to know what James is talking about when he says, know this. And what does he mean when he says, be quick to hear? What is it we're supposed to know? What is it we're supposed to hear? And I think in order for us to really understand that, we have to do just a little bit of work in the original language. First, we're going to have to back up one verse so that we can get the context. And then second, we need, to, we need to put back a tiny little word that for some reason uh, our translators chose to take out. And when we do that, this is, this is what we wind up with, James 1, 18 through 20. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Know this, beloved brothers. But... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So with that one little word, that one little but added in there, we now see that verse 19 is a continuation of James' previous thought. When he says, know this, he's referring to the fact that we have been brought forth by the word of truth as a first fruit of His creatures. In other words, we're a new creation. But we're not to stay there. 
We're not to remain as spiritual infants. We have to be quick to hear that word of truth so that we can grow in the righteousness of God. And I think that looking at this passage in that clearer context, we can see that James has given us four principles that help us to have an attentive spirit so we can receive God's Word. And let's look at those now. The first is uh, the principle of eagerness. We need to be quick to hear. So see, though we were brought forth by the Word of truth, and, and that only needs to happen once, we need to return to that Word again and again and again. Our new nature in Christ needs to be fed and nurtured so that we can grow and mature. We should be quick to get in the Word. When we encounter disappointment in life, when things don't go our way, when we're enduring trial and suffering, our first question should be, I wonder what God's Word says about that. A couple weeks ago, Ryan taught on wisdom, and we learned that that God loves to give wisdom to those who ask it. And there's, there's no better way to seek God's wisdom than to open His Word. So we need eagerness, but we also need submissiveness. James tells us to be slow to speak. In Ecclesiastes 5, it says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Solomon is giving us good advice. And it's an important reminder because, see, as adopted children of God, we are free to come before His throne in prayer whenever we like. But we need to remember that He's seated on the throne and we are not. And there is a proper reverence for Him. You know, it's said that God gave us two ears, but only one mouth. And that is because He wants us to do twice as much listening than talking. Don't, don't mishear me. God loves to hear from you. God loves it when we pray. God loves it when we use our voice to worship Him. God even loves it when we tell Him how we're frustrated and how we're afraid. But there is a time to speak and a time to listen, and we cannot hear from God if we are constantly the one talking. So we need eagerness and we need submissiveness, but we also need meekness. You know, James uses an interesting little Greek word, uh, proutes, which has been translated as meekness. In some versions of the Bible, it's translated as gentleness. There, there's actually not a, an equivalent in English for, for what that word actually means. Aristotle tried to explain it as the mean between extreme anger and extreme angerlessness. It's this concept of, of having your emotions under control. The anger is not in and of itself sinful. In fact, God gets angry. There's examples in Scripture where Jesus got angry. In fact, anger is the proper response to sin. 
Our ability to get angry when we witness injustice is one of the ways, it's one of the many attributes that we actually share with our Creator. But anger is a dangerous emotion, and Paul warns us in the book of Ephesians how dangerous it can be. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. See, Paul calls out the, the danger of allowing our anger to fester, and then the enemy comes in and he turns that anger into a deep-seated resentment, and it begins to poison us from the inside out. And James gives us another warning about being too quick to anger. If we have a short temper, this will distract us from hearing the Word of God, and that'll slow our growth in His righteousness. God gave us emotions, including anger, for good reasons. He doesn't want us to come before Him to receive His Word with no emotion. But the idea is that, the idea of meekness is that we would have a kind of emotionally healthy approach to God's Word, which means we would strive to not be controlled by our emotions. So we need eagerness and we need submissiveness, we need meekness, and finally, we need holiness. We're to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. There's a direct link between our sinfulness and our ability to properly receive the Word. It's important. It's important that we do the work of repentance before we receive the Word of God. However, just so that we would be perfectly clear that he did not mean that we must somehow become perfectly holy, James carefully chose this word that we translate as rampant, rampant wickedness. It's an interesting word, and in our context, it means ever abounding. It just keeps coming over and over. John Stott talks about this word. He says, we dig out the weeds of wickedness in one place to find them growing in another, and then reappearing with vigor where we thought we had eradicated them. It's a word that spells doom to any theory of sinless perfection in this life. Rather, our experience is to be one of constantly working, hoe in hand, against the fertility of the old nature. James is the realist supreme. So, with these principles, we, we now know how to prepare ourselves to receive the implanted Word. But what exactly is the implanted Word? What is it that we're so anxious to receive, and why is it so important? James says that the implanted Word is able to save our souls. There's only one Word that is able to save our souls, and that is the Word of Jesus Christ. In the book of John, he begins by saying that Jesus is the Word. And then later in chapter 15, he records these words from Jesus Himself. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he pr- that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That's kind of our big idea for today. Real positive change, either in ourselves or around the world, it can only happen through the life-giving Word of Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. If we want to change the world for the better, we have to receive Jesus. And we receive Jesus in two different ways. See, Jesus was talking about our abiding in Him, this constant daily, maybe minute-by-minute connection with Him. But before we can abide on the vine, we have to be made alive in Him. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. (laughs) We once were spiritually dead, and then we were made alive in Jesus. This is amazing. And did you catch it? God says the reason that we have been created anew in Christ is so that we could do the good works that He has prepared for us beforehand. This is what James is writing about. Now, let's be clear so that there's no confusion. Salvation is by grace alone, and it is through faith alone. By uh, faith, we are made alive, and then comes the work. There's no way that we could ever earn our salvation. And the same is true of the vine. The fruit, the success of of what we do for Jesus, that only comes after we are already grafted into Him. We can't produce that fruit beforehand. That's why we have to abide 
That's why we have to keep coming back. That's why we have to be quick to hear the Word. Christian, do you, do you know that you abide in Jesus? Do you know that you have been made alive? If the answer to that is no, and if you'd like to be able to know those things, I'd love to talk with you after service today. Just come find me. But if you do know those things, then let me ask you this. Do you see fruit? Are you doing the good works that God has prepared for you? Because that brings us to our second priority. The second priority is that we are to be doers of the Word. See, even if we're fairly consistent with hearing the Word with an attentive spirit, it's not enough for us to experience the growth that comes from encountering the righteousness of God. How, how frustrating would it be if when we're concerned about what's wrong in the world, when, when we're in pain and suffering and we bring this to God, what, how disappointing would it be if God said, look, just shut up and read my book? Nothing would change. There's no hope in that. But hearing the Word is only half of our equation. If we desire to have a religion that is pure and undefiled, a religion that can change the world for the better, we must not be only hearers of the Word, but doers as well. James stressed this importance of being doers and not hearers only by reminding us of one of the main purposes of the law. And those of you who were here for our previous series in the Ten Commandments will remember this, that the law acts as a mirror. It shows our true selves in the light of God's holiness. It allows us to see our sinfulness and discover that we have a desperate need for a Savior. Hearing the Word and not taking action is it's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Notice that he's looking intently. This isn't a passing glance. He's taking some time with it. Maybe he sees that his hair is all matted and tangled and greasy, and his skin is dirty and filthy, and there's sores that haven't been treated, and there's food in his beard, and his teeth are all fuzzy and brown. Right? It's not pleasant. He doesn't like it. He's shocked at his appearance, but the longer he looks, the more uncomfortable he gets, and finally he just can't stand it. And he simply turns and leaves, and he actually just goes right outside. Why? Because James says he immediately forgets what he had seen. It must be so confusing when he, he doesn't understand why people don't want to be around him, and so frustrating when the things he tries to do for the kingdom are not successful. Conversely, there's the one who looks in the mirror, and though she also sees many disturbing things, she perseveres despite her discomfort, and she allows the helper to show her how to wash her face and treat the sores and brush her hair. And when she leaves, 
She's beautiful, and she experiences much success in her work for the kingdom. James is, is showing us that there's a connection between our fruitfulness and our success in doing the works that God prepared beforehand and our willingness to persevere or to abide in Jesus. This is what a, a pure and undefiled religion looks like. James gives us two key elements of true religion, sanctification and acts of mercy, and they're intertwined and they're inseparable from each other. Kids, have, have you ever done a science experiment at school? Right? There's, two, there's usually two parts, right? First, the teacher uh, tells you something, gives a little lesson, and then the second part is the fun part, right? That's where you get to mix everything together and you get to see what happens. When you get a little bit older, uh, they'll try to take all the fun out of it by calling it lecture and lab. But that's kind of how our sanctification works, right? We get a lecture, like you come hear me say something or Ryan say something, or you spend some time reading the Word, but then comes the fun part, the lab, getting out in the real world and, and putting into action what you've learned. And here's the thing, the transformation cannot happen without the lecture, but the transformation always happens in the lab, always. So the lecture, the sanctification, this is what James says, uh, keeping oneself unstained from the world. It starts with the man in the mirror, or the woman in the mirror, or the boy or the girl, whoever you are, it starts with you. James says that people who don't bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts have a religion that is worthless. In other words, they'll be frustrated by attempting to bring positive change in the world through their own strength. See, they've looked in the mirror, hearing the Word, but they don't really listen because they can't stop their own tongue from talking. And their tongue, it lies to them. It says, you don't look that bad. That mask that you wear, that's fooling everybody. And they lie to themselves about the mission. Eh, the world's not that bad. They don't need your help. And besides, what could someone like you do? You can't make a difference anyway. But the one with a pure and undefiled religion, they strive to remain unstained from the world. They understand that if they desire to find the righteousness of God that they should expect when they first look in that mirror to see the unrighteousness of man. It's not easy. I was talking with a good friend about this this week, and he, he told me, he goes, I hate being in formation. I just want to be finished. I hate being on the potter's wheel. But that's kind of the Christian life. That's how we abide in Him. As Paul tells us, we're to 
work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, there should be some fear and trembling when we take an honest look in the mirror and we don't allow ourselves to leave. See, because what we see in the mirror, we think that there's no way that God could be close to us. And we struggle to believe that we could possibly be used to make the world a better place, to help build His kingdom. But as we persevere, as we abide, we see that the Word is washing us. Jesus is right there with us, and amazingly, our reflection begins to look more and more like Him. I know that's how it was for me. I had been a Christian for years, but secretly I was caught up in sin and I just couldn't stop. And on the surface, I was doing so much for the church, but underneath I was sinning over and over. And I'd look in the mirror from time to time, but I always went away denying that things were as bad as they really were. And I was always doing stuff for the church, but I wasn't really seeing much fruit. And I certainly wasn't growing in the righteousness of God. But there came a day when I could no longer deny the fact that I was destroying my life. And Jesus sat me down in front of the mirror. And I chose that day to persevere, to just really see who I was. I didn't like what I saw. I had to, I had to grieve the loss of the of the false person I had told myself I was. But you know what? Jesus was there. He was with me. And He told me that He would make me clean, and He did. And He had a plan for my life. And as I listened to Him, I began to look more and more like Him. Now, this is a long process. In fact, for each and every one of us, it's a lifelong process. And that's why it's so important that we be quick to hear, because to persevere means we keep coming back to the mirror. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. Spending time before the mirror is critical for our desire to change the world for the better. And that takes us to the lab, which is justice and mercy, what uh, James says is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Praise Jesus we don't serve an inactive God. Right? He is greatly concerned about the state of things in the world, and it has always been His way to involve those who believe in Him. He's called us to be doers. And through us, He will make this world a better place. Now, James, he specifically lists orphans and widows, but I don't believe he intended to only, uh, you know, to limit us to just those two categories. Scripture often lists uh, widows, orphans, and 
uh, immigrants together. I think the key word in this passage is affliction. If we want to bring positive change to this world, then we should be asking ourselves, who are the afflicted among us? Who are those in our community who are suffering? Who are those who are being oppressed? Who are those who are being abused? Who are those who are being neglected? Who are those who need help? We started off this talk by by talking about how we get frustrated and angry at the state of the world. Things are not right. But our anger is not enough to bring about lasting change. It does not produce the righteousness of God. But what if people who were regularly persevering in front of that mirror and as the Holy Spirit was doing a work in them, what if those people began to visit the afflicted? What if we began to speak less and listen and do more? Because see, it can't be all talk. It can't, we can't just always talk about it and never do. We talk and then and then we follow that up with a list of reasons why we, we can't do it or reasons why we're not the ones to do it or reasons why this isn't the time. Reasons why we find it inconvenient. You know, if it's not affecting our schedule, if it's not inconveniencing us, if it's not disrupting our kingdom, it'll never be about His kingdom. The Word says this, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is not giving us a shallow prosperity doctrine. There is no promise of health or wealth attached to our obedience to the Word. But there is a promise of blessing in the doing. And as we align our will with the, with the will of the Father, there's no reason for us to expect anything less. Church, we can be used to change the world for the better. We can be used to tell our friends and our neighbors and our family members about Jesus, those who don't know Him yet, we can be used to introduce them to Jesus. We can be used to alleviate the pain and suffering of those who are afflicted in our community. So, New City Church, you've heard, you've heard it this morning. Will you do it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would convict us in this moment of our need to be those who do and not hear only. Lord, I pray that we would not feel condemnation for our past failures or for our present fear 
but, Lord, that we would learn to persevere as we abide in You. Lord, I thank You that uh, You promised to make us clean, that You promised to empower what it is You have called us to do. And Lord, we cling to those promises this morning as we ask You to make us a church and as we ask You to make us individuals who care deeply for the afflicted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.